It is tea time on Thursday. It is tea time on Thursday. It's uh, the 11th of the 11th, 2021, September, November the 11th, rather. It's uh, me, the BBG. How are you doing? How's Thursday been for you? Thanks once again for finding me. I'm with you until 7 o'clock. I've got two very interesting guests. And as usual, reach me through the website, richieallen.co.uk. If there's something you'd like to comment on, do it to me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It is yours, you know. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. From midnight this morning, thousands of care workers have had to face losing their jobs because they haven't accepted a COVID jab. I'll be talking about that and more with my friend Dean Smith, who runs a care home in Sheffield. You will have heard Dean on the programme before. Very articulate, very bright guy. He's there, he's in the middle of it. Dean will join me this hour to talk about that. And a bit later on then, Angela will join the programme. I'm really happy about that. Angela is a listener, got in touch with me earlier in the week and said, Richie, I am a gay woman. I don't necessarily agree with your opinions on same-sex adoption or same-sex couples having children, but there are other areas you talk about regarding the LGBT community or issues that we uh, could talk about. So I reached out to Angela and she agreed to come on. That'll be very interesting. And I'm going to do more of that as we go along in the future. I'll see comments online and I'll think I'm going to reach out to that listener. Angela in hour two, before that Dean Smith, Thursday's Richie Allen Show, live from the resplendent, the resplendent BBG Towers here in the heart of Salford. It's a dirty old town. It's been dirty today, a bit overcast and grim. And El Frogo Tremendo did something I don't think she's ever done in her life. She phoned in sick because she's very under the weather at the moment. So she's not working today and probably not tomorrow either. God love her, she's curled up downstairs in the reception room at BBG Towers where I normally host the dignitaries and the politicians that come on the programme. Yeah, right. And she's watching something called Maids on Netflix. She's not listening to this, why would she? So, uh, best wishes to the oft-mentioned El Frogo Tremendo. Not well today. I've not been well. And you're telling me through the website that you've not been well either. There's a terrible bug going around. (laughs) That's what it is. It's not the other thing. Can I start with a couple of emails that I'd like to acknowledge? I'd like to say hi to Michael and Josephine Doyle. How you doing, Michael and Josephine? And thanks for your email. I really enjoyed reading it. And I have to say I have enormous respect for your faith. And some of my great friends have um, a very deep and profound personal faith. And I have nothing but respect for it. I don't pretend to know everything. In fact, I don't know very much. Michael and Josephine wrote to tell me a little bit about themselves. Michael grew up in Dublin. He's an Irishman. Josephine is Scottish. And um, not to read out the entire mail, I'm going to read just a tiny bit of it. As bad as things are, Michael told me in the email, Michael and Josephine, that things are going to plan, that I shouldn't worry, that they strongly believe that God has got our backs. A really well-written 
email. They concluded it by saying this. Can I read you this? Listen, it's very well written. This is Michael and Josephine now. This is the conclusion. They wrote, The choice we face in opposing this evil and tyranny is simply revolution or revelation. Regarding revolution, we are convinced that no human leader will come to our rescue. Psalms 146-3 uh, Do not put your trust in princes or a son of man who cannot bring salvation. The Bible predicts false Christs and messiahs, but they are the deception. There is one salvation and Jesus is that. And I'd love it, Richie, if you would consider accepting that salvation. Where does that leave us? Well, I've got a lot more to say about this, but the best verse I can leave you with is Romans 8 38 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor governments, nor things now here, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creation will be able to separate us from God's love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love is far more powerful than we can imagine. I am loved, as are you. Accept it. Prophecies notwithstanding, we have lots to face in the very near future, but the reward is great. Uh, be good and take care. That was Michael and Josephine. Thanks so much for that. If you're brand new to the programme, the context is, I'm, a, I'm an agnostic person. I'm not religious. I wouldn't describe myself as being very spiritual. And I've said that once or twice on the programme. And I've not felt that I've, you know, needed to placate those who are of faith by saying I respect their faith. I'm not paying lip service to that. I'm not virtue signalling. I do, because, like I said, what do I know? Thanks again, Michael and Josephine. This from Donna. It isn't necessarily about spiritual matters. Maybe it is. Now, this is important as well. Donna says, Richie, I wanted to reach out following your interview with Wes last night, Wes Jackson, the funeral director. I lost my baby boy due to premature labour last November. I'm now currently expecting another baby. And my hospital, for some reason, has started a new clinic. It's for bereaved mothers. My invite letter states that it's a new clinic. I'm unsure as to whether it's due to incompetence at the hospital in the care of pregnant women in general or an increase in neonatal deaths due to the C-19 vaccines. Hmm. When asked by my bereavement midwife if I would be taking the vaccine, she was extremely relieved when I told her I wouldn't be jabbed due to the unknown long-term risk to my baby and myself. I wasn't given an official birth or death certificate for my baby, just a remembrance certificate from the hospital due to delivering him at 20 weeks. There is no way of knowing, writes Donna, or wrote Donna, how many late lost babies are dying, as there will be no record of them being born other than the mother's personal medical notes. My son's funeral isn't even registered on the online register, as I checked due to no death certificate, even though we held one. I hope more undertakers come forward and speak out. I, for one, always mention to people how strange it is that we don't see an increase in funeral processions, considering we are in a pandemic. Um, and that's from Donna. Thanks, Donna. 
and I'm sure everyone listening to the uh, me reading your email will be genuinely sympathetic to what you went through last November losing your baby boy. I say God love you. It's a habit of mine to say that in light of my previous email. But um, all the very best now in, uh, you know, being pregnant again and looking forward to that. Thanks for sharing that. And very interesting that the bereavement midwife was um, relieved when you told her that you wouldn't be jabbed. You hadn't been jabbed and you wouldn't be jabbed because of the unknown long-term risks. Interesting email from Donna. Thank you, Donna. Wait till you hear this. Wait till you hear this. It is all very strange, isn't it, at the moment? The things you read. Pupils will not be allowed school meals if they, if they, if they are more than a penny in debt, according to a letter given to parents. What kind of fuckery is this? Yeah, what kind indeed, Amy. Pupils will not be allowed to eat if they are more than a single penny in debt to the school canteen. <laughs> the cook at the secondary school in Pennygross, Gwynedd, in Wales, has been instructed not to give food to any child if the child's debt isn't cleared. Now, this came from head teacher Neil Foden, who has an unusual title. He's called the strategic head teacher. What does that even mean? Anyway, he wrote the letter. He said the decision was due to a deficit in the school meals budget. Gwynedd Council said anyone having difficulty paying for school meals should get in touch with them. Foden's letter said he was very surprised to learn at the end of last term that there was an unexpected deficit in our school meals budget. He looked at it and he found that pupils had run up debts totalling more than £1,800. These debts had been run up by parents of 70 pupils at the school, nine parents owe more than 50 quid, and three owe more than 100. So children who are a penny in debt will not be fed until the debt is cleared. Yes, it's happening all over the country. I got the Richie Allen Show investigation team to look into it, and we found that a Salford primary school is also refusing to feed children who owe more than a penny on their tabs. But they're going further than withholding dinners until the kiddies settle their tabs. So I snuck, well, my team snuck a microphone into the head teacher's office at the St. Aloysius of the Immaculate Conception Primary School on Langworthy Road in Salford. That's, that's here in Salford, the St. Aloysius of the Immaculate Conception Primary School. You'll hear the head teacher James Conway and deputy head teacher Henry Hill threatening a young boy who owes the school canteen 22 pence. Uh, be warned now. This is kind of hard to hear. It's a bit disturbing. Look at my fucking Jimmy. money. Huh? Jimmy, oh. he's going to pay. Fucking kid. Get the money. Sorry. Yeah, you should be sorry. Don't fucking do it again and give me the money. You understand? Give me the fucking money. You hear me? Money today. Today. I'll pay. Today. I promise. I promise. Terrible. Difficult to hear that. I've sent that clip to the local police and to the department for education. Disturbing stuff. 
I'm going to talk about care homes in a moment before we talk to Dean, but I'm going to keep it light before we do that because, to be honest with you, apart from the massive story of care home workers losing their jobs, which is massive, it's seismic, it was pretty slim pickings in the mainstream media today. Um, yeah, our, our great friend, the great journalist Kay Burley had an interesting programme this morning on Sky News. Very magazine-ish, if you know what I mean. Very magazine-ish. We'll hear about a brand new channel, TV channel aimed at dogs. Aimed at dogs exclusively. We'll hear that in a moment. But before that, we're going to hear about the bionic mum or the bionic mother or the bionic mom if you're in America. This is a mother called Kath Tragena or Tragena or Tragena. I can't pronounce her name. Uh, she recovered from sepsis after having cardiac arrests and then she had three limbs amputated but she was put back together. She was put back together bionically and I find this interesting. I, I like these stories. Uh, she was on the Kay Burley show this morning The Bionic Mom so we'll have a listen to that, just taking, just, just changing direction on Thursday's Richie Allen show. I wouldn't normally share these types of stories. It's very, it's very, it's very commercial radio, this, but anyway, the bionic mum. But the reason I want to play this is because I was always very curious about bionic people. And well, anyway. She was prescribed prosthetic arm hooks, but later fundraised enough money for 3D printed Bionic arms, impressive. 3D printed bionic arms. Impressive. Kath joining us now. Hi, Kath. Morning, Kay. Good morning. Tell me the difference that these limbs have made to you. Now, she's waving the limbs around. I have this theory. I, I, you know, life imitating art, art imitating life. I always wanted to know, is it true about bionic people? I always wanted to know. Oh, gosh. Um, well, they mean everything to me. Um... You know, they've allowed me to function as a mum to carry out household tasks at home. And, you know, they've allowed me to get back in the classroom. And that really does mean everything. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. That's crap, isn't it? That's it. That's that's the level today. That is the level. That's the level this Thursday. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Even Jay Leno at his worst was better than that. Yes. Anyway, good luck to that bionic mother. And the 3D printer. There's, there's, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to 3D printers, isn't there? But we'll, we'll get into that another time. Anyway, enough of that absolutely crap gag. <laughs> oh, I think Steve... What was his name? What was his name? Lee Majors. And what was her name? Lindsay. Lindsay. Lindsay Wagner, that's the one. Lindsay Wagner. Right, on to Dog TV. And a television station that has been launched for dogs. I'm not kidding you, yeah. Yeah, she goes into that after the bionic woman story. Amazing. Good for you, Kath. It's great to talk to you. What an inspiration you are. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Kay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now, a TV treat for dogs. Dog TV is a new television network developed to enrich the lives of stay-at-home dogs with relaxing, stimulating and behaviour-improving programmes. Joining us now is Nick. Did she say... To improve the lives of stay-at-home dogs. What what else do dogs do but stay at home? Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now, a TV treat for dogs. Dog TV is a new television network developed to enrich the lives of stay-at-home dogs with relaxing, stimulating and behaviour-improving 
programmes. Joining us now is Nick Dodman, Chief Scientific Officer for Dog TV. Hello to you. Thanks for joining us. Tell us about Dog TV. Right. Hey, morning, Kay. Yeah. Well, it was launched um, this week on Monday, um, streaming and on all kinds of devices, you know, Apple, Android and such like. And the point of it really is to improve the lives of dogs, because when you think about it, there's nothing, you know, really terribly interesting in a home for a dog. What? There's plenty of interesting things in my home for our dog. For a dog. They spend most of their life, you know, snoozing while we're asleep, waiting for us to make breakfast, waiting for us to take them for a walk, waiting back in the house. <laughs> and so um, I think this is a great environmental enrichment. It has different oh. sections of entertainment, relaxation, and a sort of learning component also. A learning component. I was going to ask you what's on dog TV. Well, the entertainment is kind of fun stuff. So there are really scenes of dogs um, on beaches running around in parks. Uh, scenes of dogs running around beaches and in the parks, right? Pool parties and stuff like that. With pool parties? With sort of squeaky sounds and uplifting music to attract... Squeaky sounds. ...dogs' attention to the television. Uh, Do you not think that it might drive the dog fooking mad that he or she can't get involved? You think that's a good thing to do to a bored dog? Stick a program on of dogs running around the beach and running around the park? You not think the pooch might get frustrated that it can't join in? I don't know. And I'm no pet behaviourist. On the relaxation phase, because we don't want to be bouncing around all over the place all the time, especially when we're away, the relaxing has this bioacoustic music which is and slowed down and entrained into dogs' biological rhythms. And it's been shown sort of scientifically to have a sort of soothing effect. And they tend to sort of just snooze. The picture then is more uh, of a moving picture postcard, maybe a dog looking... Where do I sign up? Looking out of a car window, driving along through a city street. <laughs> and then the entertainment part has got things that dogs need to get used to in their everyday life. For example, walking down a busy street with cars honking or doorbells ringing and so on, and they do learn from that. Ah, oh, they do, so you can get your dog used to walking down a busy street and cars honking their horns and all manner of noise just by sitting the dog in front of a TV and giving it a bit of actuality. That's what we call it in the trade, actuality. You know, the sounds of, of everyday life. Wow. Kay? And do, you watch, do they get to watch Cats and Dogs the movie? That's why Kay's paid the big bucks, you see. I, I can sit here and rip the piss out of Kay Burley, but that is why Kay Burley gets paid the big bucks. That's, that's the, on a level I could never reach that. I would have never thought of that question. And do, you watch, do they get to watch Cats and Dogs the movie? Absolutely brilliant. Put her in for a television award. I never did see that. Uh, you're, you're launching a TV for Dogs channel and you've never seen Cats and Dogs the movie. I just wondered whether the dogs would be able to watch it on your channel. Well, of course, yes. Um, some dogs used to watch the movie Babe because that was full of animals. Some dogs used to watch the movie Babe because Babe was full of animals. Which dogs? You know, all kinds of farm animals and dogs, and they would watch that on TV. Ah. That's true. What do you do about the... That's true. Because, you know, I don't know what it's like in the States, but it, here in the UK, after a certain length of time, the TV switches itself off. Again. Again, this is why Burley is paid the big bucks. Who would have thought of that? That is thinking on your feet. That is world-class broadcasting. If I was in the gallery, I would have been saying into Kay's ear, you're nailing it, kid. Absolutely brilliant. What about the fact that the TVs have an inbuilt 
programs that when the channel isn't changed, they turn themselves off. That's going to screw the pooch. The States, but it, here in the UK, after a certain length of time, the TV switches itself off. Massive standing ovation here. Oh, well, I, we haven't come across that problem um, because it doesn't do that over here. I didn't know. I wonder if you can adjust that, but... Well, the fucking dogs can't. I mean, how long does it go before it turns itself off? Well, it depends. I think it's probably about three hours, something like that. But uh, if you don't change the channel in that length of time, then it automatically goes into standby. Yeah. And so I suppose they just pause then, do they, and wait? What a pun! They just pause! Absolute. This is more. Do you know the, the the National Television Awards? You are allowed to submit an interview. Let's when th these are awards are normally in the spring. Let's save this interview and let's get a petition going. Let's let's recommend a National Television Award for the most interesting and educational interview on British television news in 2021. Wonderful stuff. This until you get home. I guess so. Well, maybe time to talk to a techie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that. And um, what reception have you had so far for the um for the new dog TV channel? Good question. From the first um, you know announcement of uh, dog TV in UK, um there was a stream of people interested who contacted us. So it's got pretty busy um since Monday. So lots of sign-ups. That's fantastic. And so you're definitely not barking up the wrong tree then. Fantastic. I guess not. Nothing fantastic. Yeah. Right. It's good to talk to you, and thanks for staying up for us. We really appreciate it. Uh, live oh, in Massachusetts I... for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. From the brilliant stuff. Wonderful. Hey, listen, 22 minutes past the hour. That's why she gets paid the top dollars. It's one I would never have thought of those questions. The one about the TV turning itself off and absolutely screwing up the dog's entertainment. Fantastic. That's thinking on your feet, as I said, the great Kay Borley. Let's talk about something a bit more serious now. Uh... Care home workers, thousands, tens of thousands maybe, today leaving the profession because they haven't had the COVID jabs and they won't have the COVID jabs. We've talked about this for weeks and weeks. The deadline was midnight this morning. It sounds a bit weird. Midnight this morning. Remember on the programme earlier in the week, you and I talked about Louise Akester. Louise was the care worker who filmed herself in her car very upset having left her place of work for the last time because she won't have a jab. She spoke this morning to LBC's Nick Ferrari. Have a listen to this. Can I ask you, have, have you had either of them? You've had no vaccines whatsoever? No, I've not had either of them. Um, I struggle with the fact that this can be mandated when it's still classed as clinical trials. Right. Uh, those trials aren't supposed to be over until 2023. And I know that you know, they were, they were pushed forward and, and they've still gone up through all the rigorous testing. But even so, you know, it, it's still not been around long enough to have any long-term data. So how is it possible that, you know, it, it, we're being told it's safe? How does anybody know that when it's all so new? But do you not... Do you... Now, those are excellent points. Do you not think it's extraordinary that every medical authority in the world has authorised it. If Britain was standing alone, I would understand you, but every country you go to in the world, the equivalent of their medical reg regulatory authority, has mm. passed this vaccine. Is, does that not help persuade you, Louise? He wasn't listening to her, was he? She clearly said it's about the fact that there's no long-term data. No, it doesn't, because not any one of them, nobody anywhere around the world, 
knows anything about long-term side effects. Well That's done. That's what worries me. That's what worries Louise. That was Louise. Have a listen to Teresa, or Theresa. She's in charge of a care home in the Midlands. I think the Midlands because of her accent, maybe Birmingham. And Louise is... Uh, sorry, Theresa, excuse me. Yeah, Theresa. Yeah, yeah, we just heard from Louise. So Theresa is running a care home in the Midlands. She was filmed by another member of staff today in a, in a brief comment. And that comment was then shared around Twitter by Good Morning Britain and by the BBC. She's very upset at losing colleagues who obviously won't have the jab. Listen to her and how she feels about it. The tears that have been shed are unbelievable and I'm trying to hold it together now. It's very difficult. We love each other here, greatly. To say goodbye to people and knowing, knowing that you're, you're putting them into poverty is unbelievable. It's, it's affecting people's mental health as well as their physical well-being. People are working extra hours. We're tired. We're worn out. We've just come through a pandemic. Give us a break, Boris. The tears. Give us a break, Boris, she said, yeah. Um, and she said she knows that her, her care home is putting people into poverty by denying them the right to work because they haven't had the jab. We will be hearing from Dean Smith, a friend of mine, and somebody you know, if uh, you listen to the programme, you will have come across him. If you comment on the programme through the website, you'll have seen Dean popping in and out. His family has been in the care business for a long time, and Dean runs a care home in Sheffield, which has a very good reputation. He's got plenty to say on this and more. He'll be with me in a moment. Just before I get him on... Hi to Elizabeth who says, the guy sounds super excited about his new doggy TV channel. He didn't sound too excited, did he? Really. Joan says, Richie, knowing what we know, there could be some frequency used to affect the dogs and maybe humans. They could be doing God only knows what through our smart television, says Joan. Thanks, Joan, for the comment. Go to richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. Patrick says, a dog programme. Featuring Kay Burley, no doubt, but without a lot of bite. Virtually toothless, albeit dripping with saliva and covered in fleas and worms, says Patrick. <laughs> oh, Patrick, you're hard. You're a hard Baxter, so you are. But fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, or MCD, I think that might be Ross, says, give them a smelly sock. What is this shite? Yes, they do love socks. Richard says it's a dog's life. The guy needs a kick in the lad. <laughs> very good, very good. And you're hammering me for my terrible $6 million man gag. Fair enough. Look, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I thought about I thought about dropping that gag from the rundown, but then I thought, no, commit to it, Baldy. Commit to it. You've, you've got it. You know, you've got it. Go, go with it. It might make somebody laugh. But anyway, okay, let's uh, have a tune then while I get Dean on the phone. Don't forget a bit later on, Angela will drop in. Had a nice message from Angela, chatted with her today, sounds like a lovely lady. Angela is a gay woman, she commented on the website about things that I said about same-sex adoption and stuff. She said, I don't agree with you, Richie. But she also wrote about the culture wars 
And I said, you know what, Angela, let's have a chat on air. And I'm going to be doing that as time goes on. Not because I'm lazy, but I've had enough experts on this programme in the last 18 months uh, for a lifetime's worth, right? I've had enough. I'm trying to make this programme entertaining for me as much as for you. So in the future, I'm going to be dropping in on the comments and I will be inviting people on for a little tate-a-tate with the BBG. In fact, I might just get a jingle. I might get a jingle. Let's have a tate-a-tate with the BBG. This is Chris Rea, 28 and a half minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford, here in the northwest of the UK. My name is Richie Allen. This is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. You make it so. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's dance. 28 minutes to 6 o'clock. Chris Rea from Middlesbrough. Irish and Italian are his, 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 his heritage is Irish and Italian. Great guitar player, great voice as well. It is the Richie Allen Show Thursday's programme, last one of the week. And uh, it's a big day really for tens of thousands of people who've worked in social care, in care homes. And uh, coming to terms with the fact that they don't have a job anymore because they didn't get jabbed. The deadline was this morning. Let's welcome back to the programme a friend of mine. He is a friend of mine. He's in His family is in the care home business. He runs a care home in Sheffield. You might have heard him on the programme before. It's a pleasure to welcome back Dean Smith. How are you doing, Dean? Uh, good evening, Richie. Great to, great to be speaking with you. How, how are we doing? It is great, pal. Despite the day that's in it, it is always good to, to talk to you. What... Um, it's what? a devastating day, but I'm I'm just so pleased that there's some dog TV. We <laughs> got some dog TV. Day, that, no matter how bad <laughs> things get, we've always got that guy's dog television, haven't we? Can't be <laughs> can't be any worse than what's on Sky. Look, what before we talk about how this affects your own uh, care home, your own business? What are you hearing today? What are we now? We're coming up for uh, 25 minutes to six o'clock. Um, you're hearing stuff in the business from other care home operators and from workers what's the atmosphere like what's the mood like today um the, the mood is the mood in the care in industry has been it's been really bad for a long time because well since the since the sort of mandate came along because um try, trying to during this period um the whole covid period it's been really really difficult to motivate staff in the sense that um, the lockdown hit everybody hard, right? Everybody hard mentally. We've all hit the wall at some point. But to try to motivate people um, to continue wearing masks and, and, and doing the, the testing on, on an almost daily basis, you know, it, it wears people down in, in, an, in, 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 in an industry that's um, low paid anyway. You know, people do it purely because they do care. They genuinely care. Most people in the industry do. Um, and you so, had no choice but to do that. Before listeners start sending messages now like, well, uh, Dean shouldn't be doing this. Listen, if Dean, uh, if Dean's staff hadn't been taking the tests and wearing the masks, they would have shut down his care home. It's as simple as that. You, you had no choice but to implement oh, these things in your home. And you said that this is basically demoralised staff across the board, basically. Staff morale has been the, the most difficult thing to uh, deal with. Now, uh, in, in the first, uh, in 2020, the first sort of nine months, I didn't test my staff. I, I, they, they refused and I, accept their, I accepted their refusal because it was, it was simply guidance. 
but there's only so much pressure you can take as a um, uh, as a care manager that the system puts pressure on you constantly, um, uh, and and the amount of uh, information you're constantly getting that they're changing the goalposts, the guidance changes. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to, um, uh, you know, that the infection control things change. Um, so eventually, I had to I had to start getting the ta- uh, staff to do the tests. Um, I didn't want to do that, but I had to. So so I did I did try to leave it as long as I possibly could. Um, and and sim- similar to the vaccines, that you know, I, I didn't, I, I've not forced any anything on any one of my workers at all. No, the uh, government has. You haven't done that. The the government has done that. It's a, it's it's important to bear that in mind. Now 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 that we're on to that, has have you lost any staff because they don't want to have the jabs? Uh, no, so far uh, they they've they've all taken the vaccine. I, I would say. Um, I've I've only got uh, there's there's ten t- uh, sorry there's eleven plus me, uh, so I've got eleven care staff and myself. Um, but I would say fifty percent of them couldn't wait for the jab. So I've got you've got sort of fifty percent who who really really wanted it, and then I had fifty percent who didn't wanted it want, uh, want it, and they waited right until the end. Um, and but even then, the the sort of morale within the home and within the care staff. Um, seriously dropped around the time when they uh, announced that you've got to you, you know you're mandated to do it uh, and that that was really tough for them um and they, they were when i was doing supervisions and things like that and i was talking to them uh, and they, they was they were sort of saying you know a year a year ago we were like heroes uh, and now we're zeros uh, and they they they're just forcing this upon us um, Dean, Dean is it is isn't it worthless. The, the the words they were using devalued and worthless was the words I was getting back from my staff team that that was that was important. They were saying that, and I, because, and I, because they were told they were told to have these jobs or lose their jobs, so they felt devalued or worthless. Now, I don't know too too much about medicine, but I've heard from doctors, not just on this program but on other programs, who say that any man or woman who has worked in care throughout this COVID thing, whatever it is, they will have had COVID, they will have dealt with COVID and they will have natural antibodies against it now. If there is one class of person that is guaranteed to have had whatever this virus is and gotten over it and having the antibodies to it, it's people who've worked in care. And they must that, feel that, very bad about that. Yeah, of course, that's right. And they, they, they obviously felt awful about that and been on the literally on the front line uh, doing personal care, dealing with bodily functions on on a day to day basis. Yeah. I've got seven, seven, uh, seven residents who are doubly incontinent. Yeah, and that's that's all you. So you're dealing with that. It's tough work, uh, yeah. Um, uh, and and you've done it for so long without even getting poorly. Bear in mind, my care home uh, still to this day, Richie has not had one single case uh, of COVID. Not not one. I've, everybody's remained healthy. Um, the the only time I started losing staff was when they rolled out the. Uh, the the injection. You've not had a single case. Is that including amongst residents? I, including residents, mate. Yes. How many residents That's, are in the home? Uh, I've got I've got ten in the home. Isn't that isn't that an extraordinary thing? Not a single case. Not a single case. I know half of your staff didn't want the job, and they've had it. I've got to ask you this: Have you had the jobs? Um, 
I, I think what I'm I'm going to do, I'm I'm not going to answer that with you. I'm going to wait till the authorities ask me that personal question. Good answer. Fair enough. And you're absolutely right. You don't have to answer to me or anybody else. But of course, I had to ask uh, that. What a bombshell that is. No case amongst the staff or the residents in all of this time. That is absolutely... And everybody was being tested regularly. And you know, I must, on that, a number of care workers and operators like yourself have been on the media today. Some of them have been very emotional and they've asked this question that nobody seems to want to answer them. Why is there any need to mandate this job? If you're that concerned about people working in care homes with COVID, why don't you just test them every day or every second day? That would seem like a fair compromise to me, Dean. <laughs> and you've been doing it. You've been doing it. If, if the masks worked, if the, if, if the, even if the vaccines worked, why have we got a problem? Yeah. We should not have a problem at all. If the vaccines worked, you're covered. If the, if the people in the care home are vaccinated, they're, they're protected. Why, 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 why are we at this stage at the minute where um, you're forcing it on, upon people and it it's not a threat. We know it's not a threat. It's so yeah. frustrating for, from, from my point of view. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing so many things within the industry. Um, uh, at, the, at the minute, I've got, I've got one case, for example, where um, we can't meet the chap's need, needs anymore because uh, he's declined seriously. Um, but, but the authorities can't find anywhere else to put him because there aren't any beds anywhere. Everywhere is full. Uh, and uh, yeah. like, like a, a, a physio that I'm working with at the minute um, just told me that another 22 bed unit shut down this week, and that was because they had to sack staff that, that had the vaccine. I'm starting to think: is is this whole thing planned? Hang on a second. Now. We'll we'll come to that in a minute. Is it planned? So a 22 bed care facility has had to close down because because too many staff wouldn't have the job. Can you wouldn't clarify that? Yeah. So in, what, in what, my... what, what happens to the 22 people who were in that care home? Exactly. Where, where do they, they go? This is the thing. Uh, I can't find a bed for the person that we can't meet his needs for at the minute. Um, Perfect storm, uh, this Dean, isn't it? it it's, it's absolute. I'm sure it's by design, Richie. I'm, I'm absolutely positive that they're creating this. And they, they're going, obviously with the, the mandate for the NHS, as we know, that's come out this week, that, uh, you know, it, they're going to let them work all, ye all 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 the winter and through the toughest time, uh, and then and then they're okay for people to walk out uh, in April. It, it's like, come on, people, what what we're doing here? I was listening to Nikki Campbell's new phone-in show on Radio Five Live this morning, and to be fair to Campbell this morning, they did a pretty good job. They had um, hospital administrators coming on. And to their credit, they weren't blaming anything on COVID. To their credit, they were saying at the moment, more so than ever before, there are each hospital. Now, I've got to get this right. This guy from NHS England told Nicky Campbell this morning that each hospital in the country has a minimum of between 30 and 40 people taking up a bed, but they can't be discharged. They're mm -hmm. ready to go home now. Their treatment has basically been completed. Now they need to convalesce at home. This guy told Campbell this morning, most or all hospitals have 30 to 40 seniors who need care either in their own home or need to go to a care home, but they can't. And this guy said this morning, 
this is a crisis that's almost unimaginable because we're only, what are we now, the 11th of November. He was basically saying, give it three to four weeks now, of course, with all the care staff losing their jobs because they won't have the job. This guy basically said a tsunami is coming, Dean. Yeah, well, it certainly is, Richard. Honestly, I, I was speaking to, I've got, a, I've got a good friend of mine that's a, uh, a social worker that I've known for years. She works in a different authority to mine. Um, she's a Yorkshire and, and, woman, though. Yeah, you, this is really important. She's a Yorkshire woman. Yeah, uh, and and she was in it. She was in one of the sort of council meetings, uh, you know, as they had like a MDT meeting or um, what have you. And she was she she was telling me that they were they were actually discussing in the meeting about uh, a scheme where they can perhaps um, take people out of the hospital and and, and place them with sort of volunteers who would get paid 50 pounds a night um and and sort of um lower the vetting process you know like the dbs checks and stuff like that uh make it easier for people to say okay i'll i'll, I'll look after an old person we've got a spare room um a, a sort of a plan b and it's like everything i've learned in my career all the all the things that i've, I've been trained and taught that you, you vet people and you 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 uh, when you recruit people you you safeguard people in every every step of the uh, of the way, and, and now they're sort of they're discussing taking people out of hospital beds, older people, uh, to to free up the beds in the hospital, but put them with people in this in society that might make a few hundred quid. And it's like it's like finding a foster home for a senior citizen. Certainly, yeah, that exactly that, Richard. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Um, oh and, and my me, god! Like, that's blown my mind. That if they are thinking it, they may well do it. I have a spare bedroom. Um, yeah, in an ideal world, wouldn't it be lovely if an eighty-year-old gentleman or lady needed to spend a few weeks here? Wouldn't that be lovely? But no, it wouldn't. I'd be terrified. I'm not qualified to to take care of the needs of a senior citizen. I, I can sit and I can have a whiskey and we can chat, we can listen to music and talk all night long. But if something happens to the person, I'm not qualified to do that. You made an excellent point there. You've had years and years of experience. That's insane. So they're actually considering in one local authority, starting a scheme where they would invite the community, basically, you, to earn a few extra bucks by taking in a foster senior. Yeah. Oh, my God. You've just you've just made a great point. In in an ideal society, what a beautiful thing that yeah, would be. Yeah. But we don't we don't live in that world. No, we don't. Um, and and that's that's like I say, for me that's horrific. Who are who who could you end up with? Who's got the rights to you know, and like you just said, it's it's easy to do the easy bits in care, right? The best bits, like you've just said, have a chat with an old person or yeah. or, or the rewards that you get from um from doing that. That's the beautiful side of the job. But what about the tough side where you're monitoring them for uh, or their specialist diet or, or yeah. their continence or, or their pressure sores or, yeah. you know, the, the, the stuff that we, we, we're highly trained in. Who, who's, who's going to do that? That's, it blew my mind, Richard. I, I, I just I, I thought, what, 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 what is it all coming to? It's, I, I just don't know. Quick someone up. Dean Smith is our guest. He's a friend of mine, Dean, and you've heard him on the programme before. Dean runs a care home in Sheffield. There are 11 residents there. His family's been in the business for a long time. He knows 
the business, it's terrible to say a business, it's more than a business, it's much more human and much more personal than a business, but that's what it is. We're talking about the fact that as of midnight uh, today, as of midnight today, any care worker in a care home who hasn't been jabbed is effectively gone. And we're talking about the catastrophic effect that's going to have on society. What it's going to do to people, what it's going to do to those people losing their jobs, what it's going to do to their personal health. I don't know if you heard any of the show earlier on, that lady in the Midlands, Teresa, crying about knowing that she was making, you know, that by saying goodbye to staff because they haven't had the jabs, she's basically condemning them or the the, the government is condemning them to poverty because, you, you know, coming up to Christmas, bang, you're out of a job. It's bad enough that they're needed, these people, desperately now, but these people now are, are being plunged into poverty. And what Dean just said there is truly remarkable. A local authority is considering creating a job, basically, for people who think that they can look after old people in their own homes. I think a figure, because you told me uh, something about this earlier on, you mentioned it to me briefly, I think a figure of 50 quid per night or something was being mooted, was it? £50 a night, yeah, that's right, Richard, yeah. That's what that's what was mentioned. Um so that that wouldn't be a bad side earner for some people, but like I say, if, if you're not vetting people, who are, who are these people? Um, well, you, oh, that's important that you that you reiterate that you said that the the DBS check. So I'm I'm Richie Allen. If I want to get involved with my local football team and coach the young boys and girls because I have a little bit of a badge, it's not great, but I want to get involved. They will do an absolutely thorough check on me. They'll do a background check on me, criminal record, everything. They'll check the sex offenders' registers. They'll do the whole lot. And you're saying that because this is such a crisis, your friend, local authority, they might actually water down the background checking to make that's it easier right. to hire people. That's that's right. Yeah, they 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 they, they sort of they, oh wow sort of speed up the sort of DBS uh, process or the checks or or, or like, like you said, water down. That's that's a good point, but. They, they they are moving the rules all the time. Like for 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 example, when um, the vaccinators came into the care home to do the the residence, another thing that um, we, we've we've been highly trained in is the the Mental Capacity Act and the best interests. Uh, and for for something as simple as uh, somebody wearing a seatbelt on a on a wheelchair, let's say, you've got to do a is that in their best interest? Well, of course, it's very simple. Uh, but the, you can have more complex decisions. But, um, for example, the other, uh, was it last week? I've actually forwarded a complaint onto one of the local authorities because um, uh, some, some nurses came into the care home uh, recently uh, and, and didn't, didn't do what, what, what they're supposed to do if they come and jab a resident. They, they're supposed to um, assume they've got capacity, right? Not, mine have got learning disabilities. Not all, not all have. Some are non-verbal, some are... They, they like capacity in every way, but they are so, still, they've got a duty of care or duty of candor to um, speak to that resident as a normal person, as as um, they would to you or I, tell, tell them the benefits versus the risks, uh, give them leaflets, which they, the nurses did all of that on the first two jabs and then, and then stay with them for 15 minutes. They did that. Now, last week, uh, some nurses came in to do the boosters for four of mine. Uh, and the first one that they came across was uh, stood in the um, in the in the corridor as you walk uh, as you as you enter my care home. You've got um, um, an, an entrance area and then a corridor. So they came in, signed in, did the uh, 
usual COVID checks and make sure they've uh, had the vaccines, like the, the, the crazy rules that we've got. Um, so, so the nurses came in and found the first one they were supposed to jab, uh, and she was stood in the corridor, and and the guy, who was a male nurse, uh, said, "Can we just jab you here?" And she was like, uh, "So she rolled her sleeve up, and he uh, and one of my staff said, uh, "Excuse me, do you want to use the the private area?" Uh, and, the, and the guy used these words, and I'm not kidding you, Richie. He he said, "If they roll the sleeve up, that's good enough for us." And and jabbed her in the arm while she was standing up in the corridor. Jabbed her in the corridor. In the corridor while she was standing up. Holy Jesus! Well, I've got a, I've got a, a major complaint going in at the minute, so obviously I can't I'm not going to say too much. You can't much say about, much more, but you're taking this further. I, I'm taking that further. I'm taking that as a safeguarding because um, they they also so no consent was gained, uh, no no informed consent certainly. It was just like well, if they roll the sleeve up, that's good enough for us. And I'm thinking, again, everything I've been... You, you can't put a seatbelt on someone without doing risk assessments no, and, no. And, and, and best interest meetings or, or um, you know, all, all, all the sort of processes we have to go through. No, it's, it's gone out the window now. It doesn't matter if it's COVID jabs. That doesn't matter. How long, how long before the vaccinators come into a home and say to the seniors, right, we'll count to 100 now, we'll give you a head start and we'll chase you with the jabs? And I, I, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, don't be so um, crude, Richie. Don't be so glib. But I mean, that's vaudevillian. That the, the lady is standing in the corridor. Oh no, it's okay. We don't need uh, to take her to a room. No, just roll your sleeve up there, love. Oh my God, Dean, uh, you've knocked me sideways with that one. This is I'm, actually I'm, happening. This is happening. Yeah, uh, and 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 then they they continue to the next person. Um, and, and the other two were out actually on that day, but they continued to the next person who, who was an elderly lady and she, um, she's non-verbal, can't consent, complex needs, uh, again, just rolled up her arm and, oh, by the way, they weren't wearing gloves as well. That was the other complaint I had. They weren't wearing, you know, we, we, we're super strict on PP or we have to be, uh, and they just jabbed them without gloves. Standing, uh, anyway, so once, but I didn't see this. This is what my staff report. I caught the tail end of it. But uh, as as they jabbed the second person, they wanted the other two. The other two were at the day services, like the local um, uh, day centre. Uh, so so they they said, "Oh, we thought they'd be here." I was like, "No, they're they're day out. Not 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 a chance." So they were like, "Well, we'll go there." So I I then uh, so they they said to me, "Well, can you ring them and tell them we're coming?" And I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." So then I I called the the manager of the um, uh, uh, day services. Uh, and I had a chat. I just explained what had happened in my care home because they were literally there for no more than two minutes. I'm, I'm not even. It must have been a minute each person, no more. And, and, and they they were supposed to stay there for 15 minutes as well. Bearing in mind that's that's the procedure. Just going to jump in and say that what happened to sticking around in case of a bad reaction? Yeah, no, none of that. So I'd, I'd explained this to the to, to the manager at the day, day services, and obviously I've known the manager there because. She, uh, she's been there for years. I, I, I've worked my care home for years. and um, so, so we've got a good professional relationship over many, many years. Um, so I, I, I just said, uh, this has just happened at, at my care home. What, uh, they're on the way to you. And she's, her first thing was, what well, did, they, did, did they give uh, informed consent? Did they, did they ask, the, ask the right question? And I was like, nope, nope, none of that. I said, just be mindful. So uh, anyway, it turned out, she phoned me back about 20 minutes later. She was like, oh, my God, Dean, 
the the male nurse wanted to jab one of the ones at the day services in the reception area while stood up. So I at least I had another witness to see what what I'd see what, or what what I'd potentially not seen, but uh, I was in the building, but I didn't see it. But from what my staff had seen, uh, they did the same thing there. So anyway, it raised a complaint. They raised raised a complaint, and I raised a complaint. But but to what level will these people go at the minute? In, in order to jam people, it, it's th almost, there's no limits. I word militant. They they were militant in in their in their actions. Um, uh, she 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 used the word robotic. I used the word militant. But you get the picture, right? If my um, old pal Jackie Devoy is listening to this, she might pick it up and send it to the mail. Uh, because this is, you know, what, 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 during my days in mainstream media, this is a big story. What what you're telling me, and of course I have no reason to doubt you, I, I believe you, this is a massive story and it should be in the papers that they're doing this. I mean, it's scandalous to jab a lady on her feet in a corridor and then leave without um, having her, you know, sat down. And Well, first of all, she should have been sat down in a room, a cup of tea, sit around for a bit, have a bit of a chat, keep an eye on her. I mean, this is a massive story, this. That's what they did. To be honest, Richie, that's what they did the first time they came to do the Even death. during the first rollout? The first rollout. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, they, they did it the right way in the first rollout. They, they they did what they were supposed to do. Even even though I was sort of, again, I, I, can't, I can't challenge them too much in my role because, it, it, you know, you, you, you don't want to uh, create waves too much. Um, but it's getting to the point where, you know, I don't care now. It's Are like, you protected? I was just going to ask you that because there can be repercussions for, for blowing the whistle. What you've done, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you've blown the whistle on a massive scandal there. And are you protected because the business is private? I mean, it's, it's not going to be easy for them to come along and say, right, you hop it on your bike. They can't do that to you, right? At least not easily anyway. Yeah, certainly not. I, I, I've, got, I've got such a good reputation, Richie. It's, been, it's took me, uh, you know, I've been an RM for 16 years. I've got, I work with so many professionals. Um, so I've, I've got a really good reputation. I, I, I can, I can, uh, my opinion would be honoured. I think. Well, I've met but, you. But, I've met you, and I can say, and and there will be listeners who will criticise me for saying this because they will say that I should maintain some level of objectivity. But I've met you, and the compassion shines out of you. And I'm a cynical bastard. Me, I've met a thousand, a hundred thousand people in every walk of life over the years. I should be working for the FBI. I can tell you by looking at somebody and listening to them after five minutes what they're really like. And uh, maybe I shouldn't say stuff like that, but I can. The compassion shines out of you, uh, mate, it does. Um, so, I mean, this is just... A, it's, I, I mean, the fact that they can do that to people and, and just to go jab them, standing up in a corridor and then just piss off and go and do it somewhere else. And then yeah. this idea that people who have paid taxes and national insurance their entire life people who've raised families, that you can't give them the dignity of making sure they have a care home, that you will pawn them off for £50 a night to any bidder, to any taker. I'm, I'm fucking disgusted, Dean. Yeah. I genuinely am. I'm not putting this on. Why would I? I'm disgusted by this. It, it, it's, all, it's all true, mate. And I, I, like I say, when, when I first started my, my career as an RM, very, I've been in care for 23 years. Um, but I've been an RM for 16 years. Nursing for 16 yeah. years. So, so I, um, I've seen that the whole role change. Like when I first 
went into management, it was a big step for me. Uh, and I'm not I'm not an educated guy. I'm not uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Um, but I was just a good carer. So now I'm I'm basically a souped up carer. That that's that's all I am really. But they've made the job over the years more and more in stages incrementally. They've made the the, the job so so tough by all the all the new laws. All I was was just a guy that was like like you said earlier. I, I was just a guy that was good with people who learned this business. I could make them laugh or make them have a good time. Yeah. To have, you know, I took, I've taken the the whole care home on on holiday to Tenerife four four times. The whole we locked the place and we went on a uh, a couple of them said they've never been on, aer- on an airplane. So I was like, right, we're doing it. That's what we did, and that was back in my early career. Right, we they make films did. about people like you doing stuff like that. You took because I remember we talked about this when when I met you when we had pizza and beers. With when 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 you came up with uh, with with Cherise, who I hope is doing well. Yeah. By the way, yeah. you you kind of touched on that story. You weren't you certainly weren't bragging about it. I mean, they make they make what do they make? They make not romantic comedies, but they make comedy dramas out of that. You took them all to Tenerife. Yeah, <laughs> all of them. Wow, that is just amazing. I, that Richie at the back of the plane on one of the trips, I had one guy that was incontinent he couldn't even stand and we had we had the sort of stewardesses holding the curtain the, the toilet as you know at the back of the plane yeah it's yeah. as small as anything the could the guy couldn't wait there i it was 14 stone i'm literally bear hugging him while my staff was trying to clean him up and and the plane was stinking oh mate i could i could tell fantastic you but he had a but, fantastic time did he in tenerife had, oh, the best the best but that was that was so we, we used to be able to do that before before elf, before elf and safety, you wouldn't be allowed yeah. to do that now, right? When when people were human, when people could act like humans and be human. Oh Jesus! Do you know what? If there's anybody who's who writes scripts out there, listen. There's a whole never written about before. There's a whole brand new idea for you. Do a treatment on that and send it to a film company. Absolutely fantastic, madman, professional, former professional ice hockey player who worked as a nurse for years, closes his care home and takes his patients, not his patients, takes his residents off to Tenerife. Grab it while it's hot. Fantastic. <laughs> but, but of course, today the government would tie you up a knot. You couldn't do that today. Um, it'd be a lot more difficult, yeah, for sure. There'd be so many more hoops to jump through uh, and things yeah. like that. I've not done it now for, I think the last time we went was probably um, 2014, maybe. So, yeah, a good seven years ago. Fantastic thing. Um, but, yeah, so I've not been able to do that uh, of late. It's, it, 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 they've made it more difficult. <laughs> they, 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 they bring in the guidelines and the rules and the regulations that are supposed to keep people safe. Yet they take away some of their freedoms while they do that. But yeah. doesn't that sound familiar for the whole COVID thing? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can I read a couple of quick comments? Uh, we've got about five minutes left uh, today. You've been listening, by the way, to Dean Smith, a care home operator in Sheffield, and um, you know, to be completely honest about it, I've got to say he's a friend of mine, Dean, and uh, he's dropped a few bombs on us tonight. There's no two ways about that. Um, Brown Eye says if Dean keeps letting them jab the old people he'll, he'll have no uh, customers there's nothing Dean can do about that that's down to the the residents in the home and their families got nothing can to I, do with can Dean can I just comment on that Richard yes mate uh, I, I have got there's six six of mine have had it uh, and four haven't uh, of, of my residents because the, the nurses on the initial round like I said they, they, they did it the right way 
and even the people that couldn't consent or or or, or show consent or, or, or um, uh, speak their consent, uh, if they if they showed actions to push them away or or do something like that, they, they, the nurses honoured that and they didn't vaccinate them. I've got to be fair to them uh, with that. And so I've still got four people that uh, made it difficult for them to jab and they didn't push it any further than that. So on the on the first round, they did it right. So I've still got four of my residents unjab, six are. Thanks for that, my friend. Um, this from Chris. I'll read the first few lines of this, Chris. Chris says the home that his dad lived at, Chris's dad might not be with us, um, it was a local authority-run dual-purpose residential and nursing home. Not a common thing these days. But Chris says, I think all of the staff took the jabs willingly. I don't know of any who refused. They're still wearing the mask all the time anyway, 12-hour shifts. And I think they take lateral flow tests all the time too. They're fully indoctrinated into COVID world. And of course, Dean, this is the thing, isn't it? Chris is making a point there. At the very beginning of this, first of all, three weeks to flatten the curve. And then, I don't worry about it. We get 15 million jabs. That'll be enough for herd immunity. We can all go back to normal. It was basically monumental bollocks, wasn't it? It was just more and more and more. Uh, You know, the more jabs you take, the more you've got to keep wearing the masks. The more jabs and the more masks you, you, you have, the more you've got to social distance. There's not going to be any end to this. What's your opinion on that? It's just going to go on and on, in my opinion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, 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 there's no stop. I mean, did you did did, did I hear that in France they've mandated the booster? They the have for over sixty fives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're getting a mandate for the booster already. You had the Israel stuff. They, are they on number four now? You've got the Australia lockdown. I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for people to not to not think. Well, hang on a minute. They, you know, they, they're pushing the vaccine that hard. Surely people are. It, like like I said, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I saw this back in March uh, 2020. I, I was protesting on the streets in, in April of 2020, um, seeing what was what was happening. I, I, I don't understand how people can't see or at least question the the way they're pushing and pushing and pushing. They, they, they tried bribery. They tried, um, uh, you know, uh, propaganda. Uh, now it's coercion. At what point will it stop? I mean, we use it too much, Nazi Germany, but it is it is so Nazi Germany now. And one day, I, I do believe they're going to, you know, you've said this before, Richie, as well, that they, they will come to your door. They they will. They're doing it in Australia. Um, they, they, they are. I mean, we did have some persuaders, but I didn't see any personally, but people did get in touch with me to say that they'd met some persuaders. That was people knocking on the door, not recently now, this is four or five months ago, to ask them why had they not had it and would they consider having it. They, they talked, they called them persuaders, vaccine persuaders. Yeah, my, 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 my biggest fear, and I don't like to make people, I don't like to do anything or say anything that would make people nervous or or, uh, you know, a bit uncomfortable. But I've got to speak my mind. I, I do think in a couple of years' time, yeah, they might start trying to relocate people to have it. I Look, I hope I'm wrong. Dean, we're, we're, we're just coming to the end of the conversation today. A lot of very positive comments coming in through the website. Look, I think if I had a grandparent who needed to be in a care home, I'd be, I'd sleep easy knowing they were with you, mate, to be honest. Just, just continued success to you in what you do in, in your home and I hope you'll always be able to do it as long as you want to do it uh, that is um, write the script or write the novel about your experiences before somebody 
nicks the idea because I've because I've suggested it because what a story that would be I'd pay to watch that in the cinema uh, the hijinks have taken a whole uh, care home to Tenerife final word to you mate and thanks for giving us your time today I know you're always busy oh listen it's a pleasure always a pleasure talking to you mate um, all I would like like to say to your listeners obviously if, if they're listening to you they, they are wonderful people obviously beautiful people Um I am I am concerned more than anything at the moment about obviously I've got a seven year old um, and he's the light of my life so if they if they come for him that's you know the, the, there's there's a certain line a man got across you know and it um, that that's worrying for the you know they they are targeting the kids now at, at some point people have got to say hang on a minute no not for the kids it's just it's not right that's my biggest worry so I've got the worry about the care home. Um, but but we've just got to keep walking forward at the, at the minute, mate. You know, whatever we can do, we've just got to keep walking forward. But thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it so much. You're welcome, Dean. And the best to Pippa. And uh, you've had a difficult year, mate, with your with your mum. I'm not trying to make you upset now. Uh, with your mum, we saw that lovely video of your mum. What a character your mum um, obviously <laughs> was. You had the she car was- robbed. You've had nightmares. I know you've had... It's been a rotten year, 2021. You'll be glad to see the back of it, but uh, absolutely. Yeah, my mum's house got broke into this morning as well, which is uh, just... your 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 deceased mum's house is broke into this morning. You were telling me that you've had to deal with that shite it's as well. How well, hard you get hit, right? It's how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. What do we say about Barry Manilow's? Just just think of Barry Manilow singing "Smile." And <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I hope we can have a beer before Christmas. I think we I think we can arrange that. I'd, I'd like that, mate. Yeah, we are on about coming to Manchester at some point, so oh, we might be in the in your neck of the woods. Do so. yourself and Pippa and uh, the little man yeah. come up and we'll have a beer. I, I'll, I'll get the pizzas again. That, that'd be beautiful. I hope, I hope uh, Caroline's feeling better as well. Yeah, a bit yeah. under the weather. Yeah, it's that bloody COVID <laughs> or else it's just the seasonal cold, which I think it might very well be. Dean, thanks for being so candid, mate. Thank you. And uh, we'll do it again real soon. Dean Smith. Care home operator in Sheffield and all round good guy. Can you imagine? <laughs> that story, that scene, that gentleman on the plane that was a bit incontinent, God love him, and they had the court and uh, they had to leave the loo door open so that he could get into the toilet with Dean so Dean could help him, God love him. But he was having the time of his life and they went to Tenerife and he had a, a rare old time. Fantastic, that. Oh, yeah. If I could write a script. But I can't. I do remember sitting in lectures at Salford University many years ago, listening to a really interesting guy called Bill, whose name, I, surname I can't remember, but his name was Bill. And he'd had a successful career writing for television and for films. And he was lecturing about script writing and treatments and stuff and how you write a script and how you present it in such a way that company executives, film company executives or studio executives, how you would write it in a way that they would pay attention to it and they wouldn't just throw it in the bin and it's all lost on me because I was never going to be a script writer anyway but um, wow what a story and and uplifting too we need a bit of that it's coming up for 10 minutes past 6 this is uh, Thursday's Richie Allen radio show it's me your BBG Mr Sin says uh, look the passport is about making sure that everyone's identified I 100% believe the COVID passport is their end game and they won't be satisfied till everyone has a digital ID. That's uh, pretty shrewd. I, don't, I, I can't find fault with that at all. Chris got back to say that in the late 1990s, staff 
and uh, residents used to go on holiday to Butlins each year uh, people taken on day trips and on buses when Chris himself worked in another local private care home uh, thanks for that Chris I think Dean raised that bar though didn't he I think a little bit I think so Rude Boy Marcus says I'm loving Dean uh, the passion the love the stories keep up the good work he says total love for Dean there uh, hi to Chris in Sweden hi to Millie who says, Richie, ask him whether he saw them use a new needle for each resident. Uh, Millie says, sorry, Millie, I didn't see that. I would have, I would have put that question to, uh, to Dean. That's, that's an interesting question. You can't imagine, though, they would have used the same needle, the same... No, they wouldn't have done, would they? Would they? No. Let's hope not. Eleven and a half minutes past the hour. Angela will be with us in a moment. I'm looking forward to that. Got in touch with me on Monday, I think. Maybe it was Tuesday, maybe Monday. I'd been riffing about the about Wegan. Wegan are Megan and Wendy, I think. Is it Megan and Wendy? Uh, they're a very young or a fairly young lesbian couple, and they've been using. The, they've been having fertility treatment or they've had fertility uh, treatment and they have been on television complaining about discrimination against gay people who want to use, uh, who want fertility treatment. They've taken a discrimination action against the NHS and I, as I always do, I probably shouldn't always do it, but I do. I say, look, I've never been thrilled about the idea of children being raised by uh, two men or two women. And I've always given my reasons for it. I don't think it's ideal. I think you're, the, the child is better served with the masculine and the feminine. You might call me old-fashioned. I also said, by the way, that I wouldn't if I was in charge in the morning. And please God, someday I will be. Life will be fun then if I'm running the show. I did say that I wouldn't tell people that they couldn't have a baby. I would not impose my will on people. I wouldn't say to a lesbian couple, you can't use a surrogate dad. None of my business. I would reserve the right to have an opinion on it, as I do. But I wouldn't go around telling people you can't do this and you can't do that. Life would be relatively fun, <laughs> maybe complicated. If I was running the show, you know, kind of a thing, yes. Oh, 13 minutes past the hour. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Uh, tune then. Thank you. That's my producer there playing the music, half asleep at the wheel there. There's no producer. By the way, tomorrow, there's going to be a feature on Sky News about this programme. We might have a bit of fun with that next week. That's Sky News here in the UK. Starship Angela is next. Starship and nothing's going to stop us now. Mannequin. It wasn't Mannequin, was it? It was Mannequin. That's the film, yeah. Yeah, cheesy. I love when those films appear unexpectedly on television on nights when there's nothing on telly and you see one of these old cheesy 80 films. I get right into it. So I do. Right, coming up for 16 minutes then past the air. I do the time check because you might have somewhere to be or somewhere to go. I reached out to Angela. I'm glad I did. I was I mentioned I was talking about the, the the wagon story the other night and Angela commented on the website. She says, Richie, listening to last night's show, she says, I'm gay and growing up I would have tried to hide that. 
uh, shame and embarrassment probably the main reasons. When I eventually accepted it and came out, I did feel a weight lift from my shoulders. Now I'm embarrassed and ashamed because of the fuckery, she wrote. I'm tired of the victim stance that so many are taking. The adding of letters to the LGBT. This non-binary shite, she wrote. Uh, do I, I do believe it's only a matter of time before the letter P is added. Uh, I don't agree with you, read the point of gay parents. I think as long as there is love, it shouldn't matter who the parents are. Delighted to welcome Angela to the programme. Angela, how are you? I'm not too bad, Richard. And you're obviously in the north of Ireland, are you? Or are you not? Are you somewhere somewhere else? Oh, yeah. I'm in a wee town in County Down. You're in County Down. That's dreadful. I should never County do that. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Um, lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to having a, a chat with you. Tell me, I'm fascinated by what you said about the victim stance that so many are taking. What do you mean by that? Just more so growing up, I sort of come out in the early 90s. Me coming out, I, I sort of made it harder more on myself, but I've seen young people coming out then, and it was hard for them. You know, they were shouted at the street, they were beat up and stuff, and people coming out now, it's so easy. And they just they just try to make more of it, if that makes sense. What do you mean, that they're they're, they're looking to gain something by, by coming out yeah, and saying that they're gay? It's the... They try, they sort of try to bring. I, I, I think. Uh, sorry. No, no, take your time. Listen, to, loads and loads, and I'm really looking forward to this because I'm. You see, I'm channeling my my old pal Billy McCarthy, my mentor, who is uh, sadly no longer with us. But he he kind of said things along the lines of what you are saying now about the difficulties that gay people had in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you know, even I would have spoken to him from time to time before he died. He only died three years ago. And he talked along these lines saying that there's there's something very different now about the, the reasons people are choosing to declare their sexuality as opposed to the reason that, that you would have done it in, in the 1990s. Is is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, it's sort of, it's more like a, a fashion statement now, if that makes sense. Right. Um, people just, like, I struggled with it. You know, I, I didn't want to be gay, so I, I struggled. And it just seems to be now that the can be gay one week and straight the next week and it just I don't know it just doesn't that's really doesn't interesting yeah. I, I remember you, you mentioned the 90s when one afternoon I was in my office and Billy said to me Angela this would have been 1999 now or 2000 so you think even in 2000 that gay people gay people as if you're as if you're some other group but that gay men and women could kind of go out and do their own thing, thing without being bothered. But it wasn't the case in Waterford, which I would have thought at the time was a fairly progressive place, Angela, you know, in 1999-2000. By progressive, I mean that long gone were the days when people would have been singled out because they were gay or because they were, you know, from, from, from a different ethnic background or whatever. But there, there was a gay club in Waterford that met on a Friday. And... People going to it were in the late 1990s, were being assaulted. This is a real thing. And me being a big lump, not that I'm any use now, Angela. I'm not saying I'm any bloody use. But he said to me, you wouldn't, because uh, I lived in town. I lived right in the city centre. He said, you wouldn't um, meet us for a drink on Fridays and kind of escort us to the club. And I said, no problem. So that was kind of going on. Now, did you experience any of that yourself in the 90s? 
me personally, no. The, the wee town I live in, and it is a, quite a small town, um, for gay people coming out, there was never a problem. It, we, we had more problems probably with religion, but as in, like, I grew up in a, a wee estate, and I remember a gay couple that still live in the town now, eight, nine, when I was able to eight or nine, and they didn't get any hassle. You know, it, that, 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 I, was, I was lucky that way in this wee town. That amazes me now, because I, I would imagine, if you said to me, Richie, small towns, I would have thought that small towns were probably a more challenging place for uh, gay men and women to grow up in, but you were saying that people just kind of left people well enough alone. And and, and Killalea, it, it would amaze you how, um, how it just, just doesn't seem to bother. You know, I, I, I don't even understand why I had such a problem coming out, because my family would have been fantastic, my community would have been fantastic, but I just didn't want to come out. <laughs> and you... And, and, yeah. and, this, this is, I never get to have these conversations for obvious reasons, I suppose. The, the show isn't a magazine show, but I, enjoy, I genuinely enjoy these conversations because I'm fascinated. When, so when would you have known that you were gay? Would you have been very young in your teens? Younger? Yeah, I'm, I'm a tomboy. I've always been a tomboy. Um, I just thought growing up when I started sort of thinking I was gay, it was because I was a tomboy. And just because I just assumed that that was common with me growing up like that, but about 15 or so, I got into the Baptist church. Uh, for it was in there for about a couple of years, and I think it messed my head up a wee bit about coming out, you know, because it was just guilt. That's fascinating. Now, let's, let's stay with that. Did, did, did joining the Baptist church have anything to do with you being concerned or worried about or thinking about your sexuality? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, when I was in there, you know, everything is just wrong every, every you know we've you have feeling guilty about every thought you have yeah, and yeah yeah and it, it sort of it sort of i went into self-destruct after that really when i was about 16. <clears throat> well let's we'll, we'll, we'll come to, back to that if you don't mind because yeah, I'm, yeah, no problem. it's funny isn't it angela because conversion therapy has been in the news quite a bit lately funnily enough when i used to do commercial radio these kind of subjects would come up and i interviewed a couple of people who administered the conversion therapy and while I would be respectful, I didn't buy into any of that nonsense. As far as I'm concerned, our sexuality is hardwired. And that this is what I believe. It doesn't mean I'm right, but I believe I am right. I'm pretty sure I am right. That, you know, that you were born gay. I'm sure you were born gay. I was born straight. I could have been born gay. But um, I, I used to talk to these conversion therapy guys. Now, it's been banned. Was was, was the Baptist church, did, were they involved in any of that or... Was you know conversion therapy, or, or was that something that ever came up? No, uh, I think maybe they they seen something because a, a lot of people have always told me they knew it was gay, that sort of thing. So maybe they seen something that they were trying to, I don't know, pray out of me or whatever. Um, it sort of took me under their wing, and it was oh, nice, nice, you know, it was sort of that they were fifteen, sixteen, a bit of an outsider. Um, it was the attention was nice, but it messed my head up a lot. How did it? How, how did it? How do? How do you feel that it messed your head up exactly? Because it got me more confused, right? Um, about how I felt. Um, you felt you were wrong. Yeah. That there was something wrong with you. Basically. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I come out of it feeling just dirty. Dirty. Mix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard this before. Yeah. It made you feel dirty and wrong and. Yeah, yeah. What a terrible age to be at, feeling those feelings. So, like you're 16, and do you have anybody to talk to about it at the time? No, I, I probably could have. You know, like I say, I could have talked to my family anytime. I just couldn't. 
you know, I just couldn't, I just didn't want to be gay. I just couldn't accept it. Um, yeah, I just couldn't accept it. You said you were ashamed and embarrassed. I suppose at that oh, time, yeah. if, if, if somebody was advertising conversion therapy, you might have went for it, Angela. You might have been a candidate. Like if, if, if somebody was advertising, but maybe you wouldn't, maybe you would not, no. No, me, me, you know what, I think I probably would have thought about it. I don't know if I would have done it, but yeah, I probably, yeah, see if I think about it. Yeah, I thought if they could pray the gay out of me, I would have been quite happy. Like. <laughs> yeah. I t- I'll tell you yeah. something else that fascinates me. Um, a very good friend of mine who is gay, he said to me, and he's very much like yourself, he, he says that he doesn't want to be made a victim and he doesn't want governments you know, protecting him from hearing things that he doesn't like. You know, if there are people in society who've got a problem with, with, with gays, my gay friend says, I couldn't give a damn. And I don't, I don't want those people deplatformed or, or banned. I just don't care what they think. And I, I happen to like that attitude, you know, but it's, maybe it's easy for me to like it because I'm, because I'm a straight dude. But he did say one thing, and I'd be really interested in, did you experience any of this? He said that when he was in high school, and of course nobody knew, that, that he was gay, you know, he kept he kept kept his sexuality to himself, but he said it was fairly hurtful that kids would use they you know in the everyday language of kids they would say things oh like that's gay or you're gay or that's uh, you know or he's a bloody bender or whatever, and he said that was you know that would have made it difficult for him and he would have been thinking about those things. Was that the sort of language you would have heard in school, and would that have impacted on you in any way? Oh, definitely, like, through school, especially through high school, that, that's when they sort of, when I started getting confused. We we had a teacher that was spo- supposedly gay, a, a female teacher, um, but she wasn't, but we just thought she was. And what they used to write about her or, you know, they used to, she was an art teacher and a PE teacher, they would have done drawings and left them and it was just, they were vile. So, yeah, that definitely, I definitely wouldn't have been able to. And looking back at the behaviour of those kids, what do you think of that now? Was that because the kids were genuinely bad or were they just being kids? It was just a bit of, you know, it was a bit of crack. You know, they, they, they kept her going about being gay and they would have kept another teacher going about being a pervert. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, was just, it was just kids, but I had done it myself. You know, I would have called their names myself. It sounded like a loaded question there. It sounded like I want you to give me a certain answer. I don't want you to give, you can give me any answer you want because I don't know. But, but, you know, like I I asked my mate, you know, are are you still in touch with a lot of those lads that you went to school with? And he said, yeah. You know, he said, but they've they've obviously grown up. These things they were saying, it was just the thing, you know, you you would, you would make derogatory comments about gay people. Uh, You know, those, those kids had no idea that they were surrounded by uh, gay children or, or children who would, later on come out in life but um, he said no they didn't have any idea and you know uh, I wouldn't change it but he said it was difficult to hear that sort of stuff and what about discrimination you said you're a, you know you were a bit of a tomboy oh yeah it's just um, you know it's, 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 you would still get it you know um, people asking you do you and you actually get people in this day and age people actually ask I, I find oh, that yeah, amazing people just come straight out it's usually men just come straight out and ask you know it's and make snide co- you still I still get the snide comments if I'm in a bar, you know. Um, and how do you deal with that? I just laugh it off. I don't, you know. I just I've, I've sort of come past it where I just really don't care what people think. You know, it's no big deal. You just have it. Just laugh at them. Have a drink. Just move on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just 
move on. So I, just, I, I would usually try and get smarter back. I can be quite smart myself. I would say something about their wife or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the group Stonewall, which is a charity, which is allegedly about educating people about um, being being kinder to gay men and women and inclusivity and all of that. I don't know how much you've you've looked at them. I've not looked at them enough to have to form a you know an absolutely solid opinion. There would be one or two things that Stonewall have done around the trans issue that I'd be concerned about. They, they seem to want to you know allow men identify as women if they want without any argument and they want those men then to be able to access spaces that were reserved for women only and I absolutely 100% do not agree with that do you kind of keep abreast of those issues Angela and what do you well, think of them? Well the likes of that I, I definitely 100% don't agree like the gay bars and like the likes of Belfast their toilets will be unisex and I just hate using them it's just um, you know you're, you're standing in a queue there's a wall and guys are just paying behind it and you're just standing in a queue waiting in a queue but it's just I just don't like it The gay bars <laughs> in Belfast are, are they're, the ones you have seen are unisex aren't they so there aren't separate facilities for women No, no, no And nobody no. minds No they're just but uh, you know you're just like I say you're just standing there and men are just like looking at you and peeing up against the wall And obviously that's so, not nice right It's just it's just something I don't want to but see, to be honest, I just don't understand why the need to share toilets and to share. I just don't understand it. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I believe if 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 you're if you're a trans woman, if that's how you identify, meaning that you have male appendage, I believe you should use the men's toilets. End of story. Whether you like it or not. Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. Like I have uh, a few friends that have transitioned. You know, they're now male. You know, they've. Oh, you have friends who've gone the other way. They've gone. These are women who have transitioned to male. Yeah, at least there's three or four people that I've known. Yeah, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to them. You know that they were so miserable and they're just so happier now. And, and that's what I say. Each, each to their own. To me. And they're comfortable. They're much. They're much healthier and happier now, having transitioned. Oh, definitely. Like you know. Each each one of them have attempted suicide many a time. Is that have right? Sliced the rest, you know, just cutting, and now they've settled down. They've jobs. They're they're happy. That reminds me of a and conversation I had with Diane in in uh, in Munster, a transsexual woman from um, originally from Wales, lovely woman. She might be listening, Diane. Uh, Diane um, transitioned male to female, but 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 had the had the surgery, and and spoke very eloquently about how. She couldn't have carried on in life without having uh, the surgery. And with your, with some of your friends, would they have had surgery to 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 construct? Jesus, this is a tea time program, but to construct the the penis, for want of a better way of putting it, would they have had that operation? Oh, oh they've yeah, they've got it all. They've got the, the boobs chopped off and the and the parts. Yeah, and, and they're the, much better the off. Their their lives are oh. better for having had it done. 100% Richie um, you know anybody that doesn't sort of agree on that it's just that, like I say each their own but they're completely different people now you know they're, they're, they're definitely they definitely were in the wrong bodies I believe and it's a good that, that, that that's a good time I suppose to make the distinction because Diane being a transsexual a transsexual person is completely different to a trans woman or a trans man we have trans women who used to be called she-males, which I believe now is derogatory, we shouldn't say that, but that's somebody who wants to live as a woman but but 
keeps their male organ and what have you. It's a completely different thing. Diane talked about gender dysphoria and body dysmorphia and these issues. We talked about those. It's a minefield, really, when you, kind of when you think oh, about it, isn't it? You, you, everybody's got... It's just all these identities coming out and how people identifying as... You know, I, I listened to one of your shows. I'm sort of archiving all the old shows because yeah. I've only just joined you a few months. And there was one about the person to, um, identifying as... Was it Chinese or... Yes, that's right. And that's I, right. Yeah, come yeah. on, like it's it's just getting ridiculous. You know, I I say you know, it's a gay community or whatever. If that's what you want to call it, we well, don't do ourselves any favors. We really don't. With with, but you, but it's a minority though, Angela. Like it's a minority because when when it, when this stuff generally hits the news, the news agenda, you know whether it's about this 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 awful monster who ended up in a in a women's prison. I can't remember. Uh, his name, and I, and I don't care if people say that I'm that I'm um, denying uh, his existence. I'm not. This bloke who identified as a woman who ended up in a women's prison and he raped women while he was in prison. Um, when these issues tend to hit the news, it seems to me that the great, 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 great majority of trans people, transgender people, transsexual people and gay and lesbian people, they're not on board with this agenda. They don't want the rest of the world to revolve around their identity. That's what I tend to see really do you know what yeah, I'm saying I, I, yeah I agree but when I say that we, we don't do ourselves any favours you would just have to go to um, Gay Pride and the likes of Grand Canaria and it's just it's sick debauchery it's you know you're, you're walking you know, you're standing there sort of proud and wearing your flag and whatever and people walking by and then you'll see two people coming down in a gimp, gimp suits yeah, one on yeah. ha- ha- you know in his hands and knees and you're just just that stuff like that's not really helping us. That belongs in that belongs in the bedroom, doesn't it? Let's be honest about that's, it. We all have our we all have our bloody kinks and our little fetishes, and I'm no different than anybody else. But it's funny you mentioned that. My great pal Hayden Hewitt, who used to run Live Leak, a broadcaster, Hayden said to me that he happened upon the parade uh, because he often works in Manchester City Centre, and he came across some pretty outlandish stuff that children shouldn't be seeing in the Manchester Pride Parade. And I think when he mentioned this, and Hayden is very, progressive again is probably a bad word, but he doesn't have a prejudicial bone in his body. But when he mentioned that he was completely disturbed by this, I think on social media they went after him calling him a bigot. But that stuff is disturbing stuff. It shouldn't be seen in public and it shouldn't be seen by children. No, no, I'll say one thing about the Pride in Belfast, there isn't, you know, children, there's hundreds and thousands of children there, and it's very, it's not, there's nothing like that. You'll get the drag queens, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's not, there's none of that. I, I don't even, I don't think they would last five minutes in Belfast, to be honest. They wouldn't last five <laughs> minutes in Belfast. No. What, people come down in gimp suits, no. When people say, in gimp suits, yeah, when, we've got Angela on the line, Angela was kind enough to leave a message on the website the other day and I was fascinated by it because I often blab with my big mouth about um, you, you know issues to do with to do with uh, homosexuality or to do with with transgenderism and of course I've no experience of any of it and I blab uh, my, 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 my big mouth so I saw Angela's message invited her on I'm damn glad I did invite John Angela it's really interesting this so um, do you get offended when when people say we shouldn't be teaching that type of thing in schools do you think that no. that's a very blunt way of saying that you're 
prejudice against gay people because some people they start they, they they certainly don't explain what it is they mean. Now I've said that before. We shouldn't be te- what what I actually mean by that is sex education shouldn't happen until you're in your teens. It's got nothing to do with gay, lesbian, straight, transgender, non-binary, which I think pisses you off. Non-binary. We might come back to that in a minute. For me, it's like leave them alone. They'll figure yeah. it out eventually. What do you think? Oh, I agree. It's like given um. Like like I say, I've told you, I have friends that have transitioned, so I have nothing against that. But given kids' choices of being a boy or a girl is dangerous. It's a dangerous... Like, see, if, when I was 10, if somebody had said to me, do you want to be a boy? I would have wanted to be a boy. Right. And that would you and, know, you, and, and, and that would have been wrong for you at that time? Oh, oh yeah. I've, I've, I still would have regretted it now. Um, but you're, you're, you're t- they're telling... Like, 10, 10-year-olds now are tomboys. And they're going up and... And they're letting them live... It's just going to mess them up. You've it really just, will mess them up. You've just touched on something really important. Because the, the 10-year-old Angela... Now, you're, you, but from, what you've, from what you've said, you have, you've had lovely family and a lo- lovely parents. But the younger Angela, in 2021, somebody might have suggested halting puberty. Or something yeah. like that. And, and that would have been wrong. Because yeah. t- uh, b- being a tomboy is a perfectly natural thing. Um, I grew up in a in a primary school with boys and girls, and in a secondary school with boys and girls. So I, there were, there were plenty of tomboys, and many of them, uh, some of them, uh, some of the girls um, are gay, but some of them were not and went on to marry. And one thing and another. That's a really interesting thing. So now they're interfering with tomboys when they should leave them alone. Yeah, it's just let children, just let kids be kids. You know, they'll, they'll make it, they'll work it out themselves as as they get older. And like I say, when I was ten, you know, because I was a tomboy, I, I, and growing up because I was a tomboy, I thought that's why I was having the feelings that I was having. And it's just um, it's just confusing for kids. I just think it needs to be left alone. I've been through enough, and I don't, I don't definitely don't think it should be taught in primary schools now. And as a to- as a tomboy, you would have been more inclined to be doing things that we traditionally think that boys should do or would do. And when you were doing those things, nobody was concerned. Nobody at home said, Jesus, we've got to do something about Angela. Nobody said that. Oh, no, no. It's growing up, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a waste state and it was just... Fantastic. You, done. you just went out. Football was my thing. And I just, you just went out and done what you done. Nobody... There was a lot of tomboys in my state, actually. So I think it was just a thing back in the 80s. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I knew plenty. I, I grew up in Ballybegging in Waterford City. Excuse me, the housing estate, very similar to yours. And I, I can think, I can, off the top of my head, I could name them now. Girls that were tomboys. That, you know, had their hair cut short, that rolled up their sleeves, that got involved, that played war games with boys, that did boys things. Let's, um, let, let's finish with this one because it's, it's the thing I think that prompted you to get in touch with me. I, it's not religion with me. It's not because of any you know, because of, because of Christianity. I've never been overly thrilled, even though it's probably none of my business, about same-sex couples raising children. It's got nothing to do with, I've got any problem with the lifestyle. It's not. It's because I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm convinced that it's, it's better for children if they have a female and a male influence. But um, you're going to take issue with that. Go ahead. It's not so much issue. Like I say, everybody's got the right to opinion. I just because you're so open minded about everything else, I was just I'm just baffled of that that point that you're against. 
to be honest with you. I just, I just don't, you know, I just think it's as long as there's love. I've seen many of kids grow up with a mother and a father and completely screwed up. Yeah. I have friends that have, you know, gay couples. Again, they have to, it has to be, like I've got a friend in Belfast, he's gay, she's gay, and I've got four kids. That's Don't interesting. Know. So they live, that, that, toge- they, they live I, together? I, I, I would, no, no. She just wanted kids. So he's ah, right, I'm with you, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm to- totally against that. I mean, like in a, a relationship, you know, if a couple gay men or gay women are married in a, a loving relationship, yeah, I think that... And, he acted. He, he acted as kind of a sperm bank for his friend, basically. And I know a few people. Yeah, that, that I don't like that at all. And he doesn't take. He doesn't take any part in the children's lives. Well, he sees them and stuff. Yeah, does um, he? Right. But I've got another friend that she she just uses some guy up the road to get pregnant. She's had two now. I don't, like I say, I don't agree on any of that. That's yeah. just that their kids are going to be messed up. But right, There's but no th- that yeah, fair enough. But what we're talking about is a couple that are together, like Wegan, for example. They're together. They're obviously in love. They do their thing. They work together. And you're saying that you know, if they want to have children and raise them together as two women, that they'll do just as good a job as as if if you and me were together <clears throat> and we had a child. Yeah. You're, they, they'll do just as good a job. You believe? I think just as good, if not better. To be honest with you. I think that they're, they're more, like I say, I've seen couples together and their kids are just so grounded. You know, they're not going to getting in the try. I don't know whether it's just coincidence, but they've just, they're just turned out good kids. Yeah, I think, it, I think polite. polite and open-minded and well-raised. I think it's ridiculous yeah. when people, you know, because there are people who are against same-sex couples raising children and they, they say stupid things they say ridiculous things like oh the kids will grow up gay which is absolutely ridiculous it's ridiculous and, and laughable but um, did, did, what about yourself dare I ask did you ever did you ever fancy it Angela did you ever fancy having children have you had children no. is it none of me business no, no my mum always says that was uh, probably God's way of making me gay because I should never have had kids <laughs> I have no patience for them at all right <laughs> growing up I had nephews and nieces and we're just all just all ruined and no, I just don't have patience for kids. You wouldn't have the patience? <laughs> no, um, not at all. What, what about partners that you would have met over the years, people you would have, de- women you would have dated? Um, would, it, would, it, would, would it be common for, for, for gay women, do you think, not to want to have children? Would it be more common for them not to want to have children? Or do you think that gay women are just as likely to want to have children as straight women? Um, I would say a lot of them would probably want to have kids, but... Not know, not knowing how to go about having kids, right. or just you know, just can't be bothered with the hassle. That sort of way, you know. I'd prefer if gay couples adopted rather than just made more children. I just yeah. think it would, that would be. I'd prefer that. But and being yeah. being a gay woman in twenty twenty one. The final question I have for you, and okay. you're 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 well. Not that it's been an interrogation. I've enjoyed chatting with you, Angela. Um, Thank you. No, I genuinely have. Being a gay person, first of all, I mean, you can speak, I suppose, for for gay men as well, because you know gay men. What what do you think it's like in 2021? I'd like to believe that the great majority of people have moved on from caring whether somebody is gay or straight or not. I'd like to think that most people are like me, that, that you know, when they meet somebody, their sexuality really is the last thing that you're interested in. I would like to think that most people, when they meet somebody, 
they want to know are they nice can you have a conversation with them can they get their round in as I've said before so in 2021 like is it you know in, in the north of Ireland is it a good place to be for for, for, for for gay people in this day and age have things moved on where it's not an issue anymore yeah yeah again you'll get I'm sure there's certain towns or there's certain parts of Belfast you know where young fellas are still getting beat up but it's just probably standing into the wrong part of town um but yeah, it's, it's so much easier now. It's so much easier for people to be who they want to be, definitely. There are still problems in, still problems in some parts of the world, there's no doubt about that. Russia <laughs> Russia is not a great place to be. Um, certain parts of Russia are not a great place to be for uh, for gay men particularly. But uh, yeah, I like to think that in this part of the world that we, we, we've moved on. And that's why I get annoyed sometimes. You mentioned, just, you mentioned it yourself earlier on, you know, the victim thing. I, I get annoyed because I think, no... You'll, in any town you'll find somebody who doesn't like somebody because of whatever reason but the great majority of people I, I like to believe they don't care Angela fantastic that you came on when I invited you on top sport for doing it I've enjoyed chatting with you thanks for listening to the programme hey listen before you do go um, the whole last 18 months how have you navigated that that's got nothing to do with your sexuality of course but no, um, how have you found it oh uh, it's just that a nightmare to be honest with you. Um, I, sort of over the lockdown, it's, I delved into the internet and searched for stuff and found stuff I probably wish I hadn't. And yeah, like I say, the, the, the guy that put me on to you, Gary, um, I'd never met him. I just had commented on a couple of things on Facebook and he put me on to I, I was in a dark place. You know, it's just, it's scary what's what's happening. You were, really in a, you were in a dark place because of the lockdowns and everything that was going on. You could and feel just, it researching stuff and looking into stuff and yeah. finding, you know, what went into the, the sort of underbelly of it all and it's horrifying. It's a black if hole, it's all isn't true, it? It's all hor- it's horrifying. Yeah, it yeah. is. But look, um, well, thanks for listening to the programme. I hope it's not all doom and gloom when you listen to this programme. Try, try and lighten it up as much no, as we can, you know. Actually, I love it. I love it. It's, it's helped me a lot. That's great. Every day I, I listen to you at work, it's great. So, well, thanks for saying yeah. that, Angela. And thanks for coming on. Could, could I just say one thing to you, Richie? There's a, I don't know if you've ever heard of the story about a uh, young fella, Noah Donahue, or Noah Donahue in Belfast. That was no. Abducted, he was abducted and murdered last year. Um, it's coming. It's called, all coming out now that the police are hiding who done it. There's no two ways about it. I just want to know if you ever... Hang on a second. We're not talking about Lyra McKee, are we? No, no, no we're not. No, Noah, I was a young, he was a young mixed race Catholic boy that was abducted off the street at quarter past six June of last year. Um, and then his body was found 10 days later in a storm drain. I'm ashamed to say uh, that I don't know anything about it now. No, I don't. I'm, I'm actually, I just wish, it, it's just, uh, the, the police are hiding who done it. There's no doubt about it. it was, um, don't don't say, no, don't, 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 don't name anybody. No, Okay. Don't, don't, well, oh God, don't name anyone. But but you but think yeah. you you think the police might know who did it and are covering it up? Oh, there, there's no thinking about it. There's not. They're actually at the minute they're taking. They've got three bits of evidence that they don't want to show to the mother, and they're taking it to a court to try and. Put oh, I'll have to look into that now. Stra- please, please strange, 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 strange that it's escaped um, uh, me. But with everything else that's going on, I I will no. I'll, I'll have a look at that and see what I can. I don't know if I'll be able to interview anybody about it. The, the, the worry always is, of course, libel is a huge problem, you know. 
You know, somebody yeah, might come um, on, they might drop a name, and then before you know it, I'm in court, and we can't have that. But there's a, you, 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 you believe that the the family of this young boy, Donahue, you said Noel Donahue, 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 um, his family believe that the authorities know who murdered the lad, but they're covering it. I, I, oh, but there's there's no, there's literally no doubt, um, and that's that's. And that's the truth. Um, the police might say, "Listen, the, the police might say, listen, we, we completely refute that. We we're doing our best uh, to look into that.' But look, let me have a look into that. I'm on shaky ground here. You'll appreciate that. Oh yeah, yeah, Angela, yeah. Because I don't oh, know yeah, anything no, about oh, this. No, no, no. I don't completely understand. Like there was a hundred and something cameras seen in his journey, and I think twelve were handed in. Um, he was he was seen naked driving his bike. Has anybody done anything on it? Like, have any of the television companies in the north have they? Has there been any kind of feature on it or any documentary I can have a look at? No. When, when it no, when it first happened, it was not. Oh, it was never off news. News, and then there was uh, an incident in a Saturday afternoon up in Belfast where they covered the Noah Donahue banners with Union Jacks, and then it just went off TV, and nobody talks about it. It's never on the news. Leave it with me. Leave it with me. If I can it. find a way to cover that and get into it, I promise you, I will. Thank you so much. I've mean a lot. Well, I've done I've done one or two things like that over the years. I've I've interviewed family members who feel that they've not had any justice when 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 one of their children or you know brother or sister or grandparent was killed. I ha- I have done those interviews when I can. Obviously, the libel thing usually pre-record those interviews. Leave it with me. Yeah. I promise you, I'll look into yeah. that. She's got Donald McIntyre under the case now too. So yeah. Very it interesting. Good just to get as much, much as I could, or much as she could. I suffer. Give you my word, Angela. Uh, I will. Thanks for coming on to talk candidly about yourself. When I say Thank fascinating, you. really is fascinating uh, to Thank me. Thank you for inviting me. Not at all, and uh, great value. Uh, you were worried about coming on earlier on, but no, it was, it was, oh. I'm, glad you, I'm, gl- I'm glad you did, Angela. <laughs> Look, have um, a great rest of the week in the weekend, and of course, uh, well, we've got each other's numbers now, so we'll, we'll stay in touch. Not a problem. I'll I'll be hearing you on Sunday, so thank you. You're welcome, Angela. Thanks. God bless to Angela there. Fascinating. I'm going to do more of this. I am, because, like I said at the top of the programme, I'm... um it's not that I'm fed up of talking to experts about COVID, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm fed up of talking to experts about COVID. And I do... Once a week, I, I, I have a look at the website. Once a week, because I don't have a lot of time. And there are thousands of comments. And by the way, Hayden Hewitt said to me the other day that the programme is being sent not on the comment live segment now, but it's being sent about 50,000 emails a month from people who want to say hello to me or to the programme. It's about 50,000. It's astonishing. And obviously there's very little I can do about that. I can't get back to everybody. But I do look at as many as I can. And when people have got stories to tell or they've got interesting things to say, I'm going to drop them a line and invite them on like I did Angela because I like that. And it'll get us um, off COVID as well, you know, for for a bit because it's getting a bit it's getting a bit heavy. It is for me. I've been basically making the same programme for 18 months. I'm doing my best to to vary the show as best as I can for my benefit now. Yes, of course, for your benefit, but for my benefit because it's driving me mad. I say that and I giggle kind of maniacally but it is driving me mad covering this lunatic situation that we've been covering and uh, yeah Uh, let me just have a quick look through the comments while I'm there because it's only 
eight minutes to the top of the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, by the way. It is live, as it always is. Thursday's programme, every episode is archived at podomatic.com. It's being fiddled with. It's being fiddled with. It's being fiddled with everywhere else. They're messing with it. Other podcast providers are cutting it short. They're messing with it. We we knew this was coming. We don't care. It's on podomatic.com. Listen to it there. You can download the Podomatic app and Bob's your uncle. That's how you listen to it if you can't catch it live. But as long as I am able to, as long as they don't beat the door down and confiscate my equipment, I'll be with you every Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock and every Sunday at 10. I promise you, I will. Not going anywhere, because I enjoy it, you know. Angela Lambert is saying, how about another Angela? Angela, you can come on anytime you want. John says, Richie, there are 60,000 potential midazolam whistleblowers, he says. How did you get to that number, John? 60,000. I'm not saying that I doubt you don't come back at me now with abuse and saying, how did you get to that number? If anybody wants to hear about midazolam, hospitals, people dying mysteriously, uh, I've interviewed Jackie Devoy several times, and the families of people who believe that their loved ones were eased out of their lives were basically killed in hospitals deliberately. Look it up. Listen to the interviews I've done with Jackie and and others. They're all on Podomatic. It's Noah, by the way, not Noel. It's Noah. Thank you to Anto and to Darren and to Stevie. Stevie says, it's a very interesting story, Richie. Not many people in Belfast are buying the official story. Noah went to the same school as my eldest boy, said Stevie. God love him. His mum's name is Fiona. Fiona is convinced that there's, well, Stevie doesn't say this, I'm paraphrasing Stevie, that there is skullduggery going on. Uh, Fiona bangs the the drum constantly for her boy and would happily talk to me. The door is wide open to Fiona, so long as nobody comes on the programme and accuses an individual of murder. We can't have that. Now, if you don't understand journalism, let me give you a 20-second explanation. I could be sued for libel, and I don't have a lot of money, as you well know, but you can lose everything if you lose a libel case. Every asset you have, your car, um, the any equity you might have built up in your house, your broadcasting equipment. It's, libel is a deadly thing. It's the thing that broadcasters broadcasters fear more than anything else. I'm an expert in it. Uh, I've had to be an expert in it. And when I worked in commercial radio, I was the guy. I was the guy who would decide if we could do certain things or if we couldn't do certain things. I would liaise with the lawyers. Uh, it's, it's a terrifying thing, you know? Because... Uh, you allow a, a guest to say something about somebody on the show that isn't true. Or if I say something on the show about somebody that isn't true, you're wide open. And it's, uh, I don't fear it, but I, I go to great lengths to make sure it doesn't happen. That's all I will say, really. Look, that's it then for me for today. Please join me, please join me on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time.
At 10 o'clock, that's when we take a trip down memory lane. The cliches are voluminous here now. Be throwing cliches at you. Listening to songs from yesteryear, some of them have really interesting stories attached to them. Others, not so interesting stories. They're just darn good tunes, don't you know? So we have a listen to uh, a few tunes. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I love the programme. Sundays at 10 o'clock UK time. Thank you very much to Dean Smith, my friend, for coming on earlier on and talking about his experiences, not only of the last 18 months, but today of all days, when care home workers who haven't had a jab are basically redundant. And he dropped a couple of clangers, didn't he, Dean? A couple of bombshells there. He said that vaccinators came in to give boosters to, to residents. And in one instance, a woman was jabbed standing up in a corridor, wasn't jabbed in a room with some dignity and some privacy. And that the vaccinators didn't remain in the building for 15 minutes or more to ensure that the person was, was fine after having the jab. This is the sort of stuff that should be in the national press, not just on this programme. Uh, do I believe, Dean? I shouldn't say whether I do or whether I don't. I've gotten to know him. I don't see him as a lawyer. Nothing in it for him to make those claims. And he has made an official complaint about the conduct of those vaccinators. So obviously we'll follow that up with Dean in due course. And thanks so much to Angela, who was lovely, uh, for coming on the programme after dropping a message on the website. I invited her on, spoke very candidly about her own experiences growing up gay, about her friends who have transitioned from female to male and had the operations, about puberty... And about how today, you know, being a tomboy today, you might be told to take puberty-blocking drugs or somebody might suggest it. Very interesting things came out of that. She mentioned Noah Donahue as well, or Donahoe. We'd say Donahue, wouldn't we? I will look into that. And if his mum, Fiona, was amenable to coming on, if she was amenable, and if we could get her on to talk about it, of course, that's why the Richie Allen radio show exists. It's as simple as that. Listen, goodbye. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Have a fantastic weekend. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Angela. Thank you for listening. See you Sunday at 10 o'clock, leaving you with the who. Because we're all seekers. We're all seekers, every one of us, aren't we?